Hello and welcome to Lady Time, a podcast for those of us navigating midlife. My name is Carol Fitzpatrick and today I am interviewing Eleanor McSherry. Eleanor is based in Limerick City, working full-time for Adult Continuing Education at University Cork, ACE at UCC. She has a Bachelor of Arts Honours Degree, Media Communications and Philosophy and a Master of Arts by Research from Mary Immaculate College, University of Limerick. She is currently doing her PhD by research in Maynooth University. She also has a postgraduate level nine diploma in teaching and learning for third level from UCC and has two national forum badges in teaching through digital media. Eleanor is the program coordinator and lecturer on the diploma in autism studies and the certificate in practice support in social farming. She lectures part-time on the diploma in disability studies Certificate in Mental Health in the Community, the Higher Diploma in Facilitating Inclusion and Workshops on Advocacy and Neurodiversity. She's Programme Coordinator, Designer of the Certificate Professional Development in Neurodiversity in the Screen Industry with Screen Ireland, Certificate in Professional Development in Advocacy, Wellbeing Coordinator, Pilot Programme with Screen Ireland and the Pilot Programme in Neurodiversity in Human Resources, all with ACE at UCC. She also lectures and is a dissertation supervisor on the Professional Master of Education, Primary and Post-Primary with Hibernia College Dublin. Previously, she lectured on film and media with Limerick and Clare Education Training Board and Maynooth University. Her other areas of speciality are policy and practice, the law and autism, representation of autism in the media, neurodiversity, the concepts of mental health, film script writing, journalism, philosophy, creative script and academic writing. Eleanor co-founded the Special Needs Parents Association of Ireland with other parents in 2010. She was its first vice chair, policy officer, moderated its social media and was on its executive. She was a full-time carer to her autistic son. The group helped over 57,000 families in the years it operated. Unfortunately, it closed in 2020. She has worked with and represented other disability groups, both nationally, locally in the Irish media. She is also a well-known mental health and disability rights activist. Eleanor has co-founded the Limerick Arts and Culture Exchange, which advocates and supports for the cultural community in Limerick, County in Ireland. Eleanor, that's such an impressive bio. I am so impressed with all you've done. You're extremely academic and you've done a lot of work around advocacy for uh, neurodiversity and mental health. You're very welcome and thanks for joining me today. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Eleanor, can I ask you first off about your work with neurodiversity? Would that be okay to ask you that? Yeah, that's perfectly fine. I have lectured on uh, a Diploma of Autism Studies with UCC uh, Adult Continuing Education Department for 12 to 14 years now. So um, I, I'm an adult learner myself. I didn't take a traditional route into third level education. I, I went back in. I did an ac access course in Mary Macklin College um, because I felt I wasn't able. And I went back in and I actually was very able. And then I continued on did my master's but I was a, a carer for my autistic son for a very very long time 
and was involved in that whole community and disability advocacy, parents and, and autistic children, but, but children with all sorts of disabilities who needed help and who needed support. And so when I went back into college, I went back to do media and ended up being completely drawn to uh, special education, but in, in particular to autism and, and the area that my son dealt with, because I found that a lot of the material I was learning in college never mentioned it. And and it really frustrated me. And that a lot of I did philosophy as well. And a lot of philosophy was talking about the on, you know, the the barbarians and and the unreasoned minds and stuff like that. So I used to get very angry about it because that I felt that they're talking about my son, they're they're talking about him and and that really upset me. So I ended up doing a master's in in inter, looking at intellectual disability in the Irish educational system and realizing from that that we're very culturally different to the rest of Europe and how we treat people who have disabilities and special needs and we're actually quite a caring country, even though we have a lot of this, you know, abuse and all that kind of stuff. But outside of that, the actual Irish people are a very caring, community oriented, family oriented nation of people. So that really came out very strongly in my research, because whereas in other countries, people are being euthanized or they were getting forced abortions and things. And then this is in Europe. Now, it's not as if it was, you know, in other countries that we would have presumed that's what was happening, but are institutionalized. We had very little institutionalized compared to other European countries. So Ireland is quite unique in that respect. So I've I've taught policy, practice, law, uh, history of, of autism and uh, representation and but I also part of the history of of and and looking at autism in throughout history, uh, neurodiversity was one of the areas that I taught on. So a friend of mine in a screenwriter reached out to me and she said Screen Ireland were putting together a workshop on it. And could I come and, and help her, you know, put together the material? So I, I guess I yes, I had a chat with her and then she went, oh, God, OK, wait a second, you know, way more than I do. Can you actually um, come and meet the girl? And I said, yeah, that's no problem. So we met uh, Granny Bennett. It's my friend uh, uh, and my friend is Lind- Lindsay Cedric, who writes uh, for animation and, and books and everything. A fantastic writer. And so we met and then they went, oh, actually, could you do the key talk in this seminar? And I went, oh, two areas of my life suddenly came together. My special education, my special needs, my autism world now really came into the fore with media. So they asked me, uh, we, we did the workshop and there was such a fantastic response. Because nobody in in the world, in in universities or colleges, are doing media and looking at representation the way that we are. So I was asked to design a course, and and that's what I did. I designed a course, but you know I have now been asked to design a course on wellbeing coordination, and uh, because of, I've done a lot of work in in mental health as well, and and these fit very well together because we one of the areas that that particularly depending on when you get diagnosed neurodiversity crosses over into that mental health field. But if you have mental health issues, you fit under the umbrella of neurodiversity. So um, they fit very well together. But I'm getting contacted by the European Broadcasting Union, um, lecturers in Australia, uh, people who want to do the course from, because this course is offered internationally because it's an online course. So people were contacting me from all over the world and from areas like I'm giving a talk. I'll give you a laugh. I'm giving a talk to the School of Dentistry um, on neurodiversity. And I said, listen, guys, I know nothing about dentistry, but I do understand 
from the families that I deal with how important those kind of things are. And I had to sit down and think about because in the last 18 months, I went from one course to three courses. And there in January, I ended up with seven different courses. And I had to say, and I'm, I'm doing my PhD in autism and television drama. So I had to say, oh, wait a second. But I never turn anybody away. I it's it's something I'm very passionate about. Wow. So you have a real niche internationally then uh, with your work. And it's amazing, isn't it? It's probably midlife that all of these different parts of your interests came together and yeah. and and were perfect fit for what the world needs right now is more awareness courses for people, either professionals, but mostly professionals, probably uh, yes. that you're teaching. Yes. Yeah, that's that's amazing. God, it's shocking, isn't it, to hear that Ireland is one of the caring countries um, out of Europe. My goodness. Uh, well, look, look, your work is going to hopefully help other countries take it on and uh, be more inclusive and more caring. Yeah. Um, it's a that's amazing that that work that you're doing and who are in your classes? So you mentioned the dentist in the autism studies class. Our autism studies course is quite unique because a lot of the we were one of the first autism studies course in in Ireland, um, and it's 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 quite an unusual course across the uh, Europe as well. Um, you know they they do it on a smaller level in the UK, but a lot of of courses that that look at autism in particular are are confined to specific disciplines. So let's say in education or in psychiatry or in whatever, whereas our course is a level seven diploma. It's over two years. And what we have in the classroom, what's absolutely fantastic is we've parents, we've SNAs, we've teachers, we've um, resource teachers, we've intellectual disability nurses, and they're all learning together. So they're all learning from each other because normally in the real world, when you're fighting the system, the last thing you want to be ter- chatting to is a nurse. Uh, you know, you end up coming in going, where are my services? Where and whatever. So that that's in the in the but that's what I love about the the area I work in in, in, in adult continuing education and continuing professional development because you're dealing with real people, but not only real people, you're dealing with people who have are are coming in with life experience that we can't learn from a book. In the neurodiversity course, it's all professionals. So it's directors, producers, leaders within the uh, media community, screenwriters, actors. It's just an amazing group. And they're all learning again from each other. Like I always say, 50% is coming from what I teach and 50% is from each other. And that interaction, and that's really, really important to me. And because all of our courses are online now, some people say you lose a bit. Yes, you do. But you also meet people that you'd never see in a classroom. Autistic people would not be in a classroom. They, 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 you know, not a good number find classrooms quite triggering and quite upsetting. And a lot of neurodiverse people find classrooms quite difficult. So if you want to reach those people and have them in that group, have them talking to each other and learning from each other. It's it's fantastic that online experience because I can have students from I mean, I, I for a while I ran a social farming um course and I had a guy from Japan in the class who was learning English and was was beaming in every night from Japan. And my autism studies are in a, my I also teach an advocacy course because that's one of my areas that I, I very involved in. And I had a lady from Texas, a primary school teacher from Texas. So, you know, it's it's fantastic to have those people in the room because you lose that if we're only classroom based it's it's a geographical thing and then if you want to have awareness you have to think outside the box and you have to share this knowledge 
much wider. So yeah, so it's 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 really interesting. It's really interesting. It really is. And it's great that the online can provide that extra platform to include everybody. So what you were saying there is uh, interesting. So neurodiversity does not equate to autism. You differentiated between the two. So neurodiverse is a much more inclusive, includes a lot more, doesn't it? Yeah, well, neurodiversity is a sociological term, right? And it means everybody. Everybody's brain is neurodiverse. Because all of our brains are diverse. So neurodiverse. And so what happens is, is that uh, the human brain, where there's slight differences that fit under the medical categories, is what we call neurodivergent. And people are neurodivergent is autism, ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, dyscalculia, gender dysphoria, mental health issues. There's also... There's there's debate about a lot of other areas that this falls into as well. And it depends. And, uh, you know, people who self-identify as well, which can become problematic for them accessing services and things like that. But that's what neurodiversity is. Neurodiversity is a sociological movement that was um, Judy Singer, who's a sociologist uh, back in the 1990s. Um, she was diagnosed as autistic uh, later in life. And she was quite angry about the research that she was reading because she felt it was quite derogatory. Everybody was looking for a cure. She didn't feel like she needed a cure. She needed help. She needed support, but she yeah. didn't need a cure. Like at 50-something, why would somebody be giving you a cure at that stage of your life? Um, and rather than see neurodiversity, you know, the diversity of the human brain as something that's just naturally happening, it was seen as a problem, as something that we have to eradicate. Um, you know, and all these big debates that we're talking about in euthanasia and and selection and, you know, and DNA selection and and all these genetic issues that we're looking at at the moment um, are not helping people. That's the thing is, is we're here. Hello. Uh, you know, and and two years ago I was diagnosed myself and, you know, I'm not as annoyed about it as obviously she was at the time. So she came up with this concept to be more realistic about what's happening in the world and that I think you know it's it, when you're in that kind of area of a um, neurodiversity that if we accept we're all different which we are we're all individuals which we are then that's a good starting point and then yeah. everything else is shades of grey so absolutely I love that that everybody is neurodiverse because we are we all think yeah. differently we all process differently don't we we're like yeah. you know some and of a lot of people use... some of us are slower and some of us are deeper and you know this different. is it this is yeah. it and a lot of people misuse the terminology so much and and it because it, it doesn't really affect them and I think it's the best they're very well meaning it's not as anybody wants to be you know annoying anybody um, but it's I, I think the neurodiversity movement is about ownership and it's about identity and it's about accepting myself for who I am rather than about, you know, grr, rights, rights, rights the whole time. It's about acceptance uh, rather than just awareness. Oh, great. And that's lovely. And that's a lovely that's that's kind of a soft approach as well. But it's, it's inclusive. And sometimes when when we're advocating and we're annoyed and we're up you know this, well, I need my rights we <clears throat> we alienate people who don't like that you know who don't like that energy or whatever they you know so it's, that that's acceptance is it's it's wonderful it's lovely it's great that there's a lot more acceptance and awareness nowadays I I know myself with 
a family member who's uh, autistic, you know, and in mainstream education that uh, recently there somebody came up to their mother and said that their child has made the class a, a more accepting class, that that class stands out. It actually makes me emotional, yeah. but the class stands out as being one of the best classes in the school because yeah. this child is in it. It's, it's, it's never... My son was with the same group of boys from four years old till he left school. He's 25 now. And they accepted him for who he was. It was never... It's never the other children's problem or the even the teacher's problem or the principal's problem. It's the system. The system is what I have the problem with because the system is so parameters. The parameters are so tight. It's it's sucking the life out of our children and it's making, you know, for parents like me, it, it massively affects our mental health. It massively affects everything that we are. And and that's a real issue and you know rather than support we see people who are looking for resources as coming taking our resources and coming taking things away from other people and that's just not the case nobody wants to it's not a really big Irish thing to ask for help we don't tend to ask for help and we're now coming into a generation my son's generation in their 20s who are now starting to ask for help and we're calling them woke and we're calling them you know babies and stuff like that yet for so long none of us looked for help and maybe if I'd gotten help through school I might have gone to 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 college earlier but I don't think I'd be where I am today if I hadn't had those barriers or I haven't had those issues and I don't think I'd be helping the people that I am helping if if I hadn't um empathy and had been where they were true true now how about your son then how did you know that he was autistic was that was he very young and you knew or was he uh, in school or yeah he was diagnosed at four um four. we he was going down we wanted to, I have three sons he's the middle child and I was bringing him down to school and he, he was very quiet very academic from day one he used to love looking at David Attenborough books on biology and on nature and and geography and things like that so he's mad into that kind of thing very quiet the other two kids are total lunatics so I thought he was oh you know he was so placid so gentle and he was hypersensitive in a little bit of ways but he spoke very early he was a bit delayed in a lot of his you know developmental milestones but he kind of got them do you know what I mean but a little bit later so when he started school I had no expectation that anything was wrong but he reacted so not violently it's not really the correct word but his behaviour was so bizarre to school he used to sit underneath the teacher's table with his hands over his arms and cross his legs and rock now I'd never seen that before in my life so I didn't even know what that was so we it took us 18 months to get him to uh, an appointment in psychiatry and then we would have been one of the first groups to get these multidisciplinary teams that's how I know that system so well I know the progression of it and it took 18 months to get that and it took another couple of years to get the resources that he needed. And we got every resource going in the beginning. Every resource was available to us. And then in 2006, everything started being pulled like the rugs were pulled from underneath us. And I'll give you an example of one of the, the, the things that always sticks with me, one event. Um, my youngest son was starting his first day of school and um, Dennis, who's my son with autism, um, they he was to get an extra hour of uh, SNA support, but they wouldn't supply it. So we had to reapply for one hour 
So he had an SNA all the rest of the time, but for that extra hour, we had to reapply everything again, all the reports again. It was just stupid within the one school. And so this meant that I'd stand with him in the yard so that he wouldn't run away. He had a terrible, if, if somebody made a loud noise, he'd be gone. Like just, just everything let loose, he'd be gone. Um, you know, there'd be no stopping him and no reason to it. And I had to watch my four-year-old, my baby, um, across the yard where all the other parents were there, all the other, you know, they had all the family members there in the first day of school, which is a very seminal time in your child's life. Yes. And I had to watch on the other side of the yard as he stood there by himself, like, oh, even even thinking about it. And that's 20 odd years ago now, but I had to stand and it stayed with me and the guilt of it. And it wasn't my fault, but the yes. guilt of it stays yeah. with you for, for a very, very long time. And, you know, I, I, I give talks about our journey, you know, and I, I was supposed to give a TED talk a couple of years ago, but it, it didn't, it, COVID happened, so it didn't come out. But it's, you know, it's, you kind of get to a certain point where you just have to let it go because they're now 20 something year old men. Um, and the only person it affected and damaged really realistically was me, Um, you know, because they didn't see any of that. They didn't see me crying the whole way home. They didn't see me go to my mother's house and, you know, have I'm asthmatic and have, you know, a, a panic attack in her house. And, you know, every time the phone rang, you know, th- there was a worry that 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 Dennis was kicking off or you know, when he started second level, he had suicidal tendencies and ideology and everything. I'd never I'd never know how to cope with that. That's how I got involved in mental health and, um, you know, and how important it became. So it's it it really started a passion in me to because everybody kept saying to me, oh, he needs to understand what the world is really like. He needs to. And I went, I went wait a second. Mm. Why doesn't the world need to understand what he's like? Why doesn't the world? Why do they get away? Why do you get away with that? I mean, if we're all talking about I, I mean, I remember actually in second level, there was a whole big chat about uh, when you start in the school about pastoral care and how caring and how inclusive and blah, blah, blah. And when there was a problem, it was like all hell broke loose. All of this was just talk. You know what I mean? So I was very actually angry about a lot of the systems that I saw that were there that were supposed to help me that became barriers that shouldn't have been barriers. You know what I mean? So it, it, yeah. it, it's, but that's why I teach it now. So I can actually talk from personal experience to other people that how difficult it was, how to hang on to your mental health and your personal ideology of, of self-identity when you're so consumed by being this warrior parent that nobody signs up for. It's actually funny, Brenton O'Connor the writer in the Irish Independent when his daughter was born with Down syndrome, he, he wrote a big long thing in the paper. I think he's ashamed of it now, but I'm not going to be one of those warrior parents. I'm not going to go on those marches. I'm not going to go. And then 10 years later, he went, OK, I apologize. I was wrong because you have to. And I don't think I think the problem is there's lack of money. I think there's a problem is a lack of resources. And I think that with the best will in the world, we're unfortunately every couple of years, we get a really, really good minister and then they're gone. And then we get another minister and then they're gone. I don't know how anybody is going to be able to follow through on anything with that. Yes. Yeah. There's no long term implementation. Is there a long term vision or implementing policies? 
no. with, with our government system. So you mentioned a few things there. So one would be um, the mental health of parents, because you're looking after someone you're worried, even if you don't want to worry, you're worried about what that next call might be and how they're getting on in school or, or you know, whether whether it's in the classroom or outside the classroom yeah. and um, and how how your child is themselves and you mentioned the suicidal ideology and that's that's massive so it's the parents and the family's mental health is is important and I presume when you set up that uh, association for families that was a big issue was it yeah I mean we 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 what we did was we made a conscious decision in in 2006 and it's got this is going to sound a bit wackadoodle now so bear with me um in 2006 I was online I was giving out because suddenly resources we were told by the school that we'd have to fight for resources we had to ring the department that the school will do, apply but it was up to us to to follow through with it and we and that we wouldn't know till September whether we had resources or not so this is very, very new to me. So um, so online, I, I joined a group online that was talking about cut of, of SNEs and there was 23,000 people on that. And we decided to set up our own group of parents. We were all across Ireland. We were all in a similar boat. All our children had different disabilities. Uh, but all of the different associations were out there were professional, almost, you know, they had a CEO that was getting paid or whatever. And we were saying, you know, the, why don't we just do something ourselves? So we started a Facebook page. So we started with six parents across Ireland. And then we decided to become a charity. This is before charity regulation. So after 10 years, we started with six parents. We ended up with 57,000 families that we helped across Ireland. Wow. We had no CEOs. We had no buildings. We had no money. We just offered peer support and we met up for coffee mornings. We had chats. We were available on the phone and we did all of that for nothing. And after 10 years, it got to stage we were all burnt out and sure. I'd gone back to education at that stage and it broke my heart. But we still have a small presence online. Um, but what we did was very quickly after we'd started our campaigning and things like that, we were invited to the government table, which just doesn't happen. And we were on. So uh, I was the one of the I started as the vice chair and I became policy officer for a long time. And I worked with um the other the other parents who different parents over different years and um so I knew about political lobbying I knew about getting into the media but I had a media media degree so I, I understood how to do that anyway and um so I spent a lot of time with writing government policies and um, putting together material case studies things like that so these are skills that I now teach other people but um it was massive from our perspective because these are skills none of us had um, you know, and how to effective communicate, how to, to be effective communicators, how to talk to people in a manner that, you know, I had people on the phone who were suicidal. I had people I wasn't equipped for that kind of interaction. I, you know, our siblings or our family members or grandparents or, you know, who were going through, we were going through. And that shared experience was massive for positive well-being of the families that we dealt with because, um, there was the services that were available were very specific services, you know, uh, you know, the, the Samaritans, they wanted to speak to somebody who could say, I've been there, I've done that. I know what it's like to be you and to not feel like you're isolated and to not feel. So that was all done online because obviously none of us had any money to go anywhere. Um, you know, I never got we were never we were 50 quid over a carer's allowance. So we never got financial support from the state 
I, I did get domiciliary care allowance, but that was a big, massive thing for me because I wasn't working. And when I got my master's and, and this course came up in, in diploma and autism studies, I took it and I ended up working for five different colleges by the time I was finished um, and in special education, things like that. But these are skills that you learn when you're an advocate or, or you know, and, and there are skills that you learn even as a parent um, that are very useful in in the working world and um, that people mightn't even realize that they have. Absolutely. Well, it, it must be overwhelming for you, Eleanor, now to be to be almost be the expert in all of this in 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 Europe, nearly in Ireland anyway, you know, that all this, you, you, it's almost like this, everyone is going to come to you to learn about it or to be, to know how to, to work with, with people yeah. or to work with agencies or, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I've terrible, with work, I'd say. Yeah, I, I've, I've terrible imposter syndrome. So I, I, I remember when we were doing it in philosophy, I, I, it's the one thing I did learn is that you're an expert for today and then tomorrow somebody else is the expert because they find something new. Sure. Um, I would never, I would never call. And I, that's, I think that's how I got on so well with other parents. I'd never call myself an expert. I go, look, this is my experience and this is what I think you should do, but it's really up to you. You know, your experience, you know, your circumstances. And I think, I think that's the difference between what we were doing and a lot of other people were doing. Other people set themselves up as experts and I don't know everything about autism. It's in my house. I'm autistic myself. I teach it, I research it, but I wouldn't know everything about autism because the human brain is something that even, you know, the top people, you know, like Professor Fitzgerald or even, you know, all of these big scientists that we know of. And even Einstein said it, we don't know enough about our universe and, and, the, and the biggest universe we begin with is our brain. And so, you know, but I, it is nice to have somebody say to you, um, you are now the best international practice for so long. I had to look to, oh, best international practices in the UK or best international practices in America. And it's nice to say for once that Ireland is. I said, why aren't we the innovators? Yay. Why aren't we doing it? <laughs> you know what I mean? It makes sense to me. That's that, amazing. That's you know amazing. what I mean? So we are the innovators and they're now looking yeah. to us. And, and, and you know, and, and I'm very proud of that. I'm proud that from something so small by being asked to put together a seminar and now people are coming to us and I laugh I get off the phone and I go this is bizarre when did this happen how did this happen and I'm just going with it at the moment you know what I mean but it's yeah. because I want my son if he wants to go he loves history he loves things like that if he wants to go in and make a documentary that nobody's going to tell him he can't do it they told me when he was four and this is one thing that really annoyed me and I bring it into my autism studies they gave me a list of all the things he couldn't do and I said to my husband, well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to, this is his bucket list. If he can do, at least try any of these things. And he's tried everything. And I was told he wouldn't do a junior cert and he did a junior cert. And I told he wouldn't do a leaving cert and he did a leaving cert. So for me, um, you know, that is massive because, mm. you know, never, ever tell somebody that they're not able to do something. Let them try it. And if they fail, they learn from failure. Isn't that what the human human experience is? We're too, we want to protect our children, but sometimes letting them fail is the biggest lesson they can learn. If I hadn't, well, I didn't fail my leaving cert, but if I hadn't done badly in my leaving cert, I never would be here today. I'd be doing something completely different, which is probably amazing to think. So now everything that I think that from that day has led to this, and I wouldn't change a minute of it. 
Oh yeah, absolutely, and and you're so accomplished, and I love the way you're you're empowering with people. You're like, I'm not the expert. You know your your life, and you know your experience. So that's yeah. that's great. What was the step that what what encouraged you to get assessed? Say, what was what was the trigger for that? Well, I never actually got a full. I I didn't get a professional diagnosis. What happened okay. was during COVID, I was going to um, seminars about autism, you know, trying to stay on top of what's going on because a lot of these seminars used to be face to face and yes. I couldn't go to them. I can't, I can't, I couldn't leave my son. And I'm very lucky in the job that I do. I work hybrid. So it's perfect for me. And COVID, that's what COVID gave us. Um, but I was going to these conferences and I was saying to a colleague of mine who's, who's many, many years in, in the HSC, very, very high up in the HSC and who diagnoses people of all ages in autism, very top expert. She's an expert now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I turned around and I was saying to her, God, I was at these conferences and all these women and they're all autistic. And I said, isn't that amazing? Because I said, anything I read before was all from these guys and they were all professors and and stuff like that. But now the women are the professors and they're all autistic. And she said, but sure, you'd be grand. And I said, why would I be grand? And she said, because you're autistic. I said, whoa, whoa, now hold your horses. I said, I'm autistic. I said, no, no, that's that's not right. And then I went, oh, maybe it is. And then she said, do you want me to? Oh, she said, oh, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, look, forget I said anything. I said, I forget you said that. I mean, that's a big thing. And then she said, oh, I, th- I just thought you knew. I said, nobody ever said anything to me. Now, one or two of the autistic adults or autistic parents that I knew had kind of said, because I was always, they always, in, in, in special needs parents, always call me the autistic whisperer because anybody who was an autistic parent who was very, getting very distressed, I was able to calm them down. I didn't realize why. Um, so, and she said, you want me to set you up an, with an appointment? And I thought, you know what? I'm 50. I have enough problems with menopause. Uh, then, then I have more problems with that than I have. And I am comfortable in myself. I'm very strong in my own self-identity. And you know what? I'll embrace it. But I know everything I need to know because I teach it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's yeah. nothing. They're not going to tell me anything. And I, and it's a lot of money to be told what I already know. So it it explained a lot of things in my life, but as I say in the neurodiversity course, it explained my weirdness to me. It explained why I found certain things difficult and other things easy, why I love certain things and didn't like other things. But it 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 manifests so differently in girls. Girls get diagnosed much later than boys. And in women, it, it manifests itself so differently. But we're all so different as well. You have to take into consideration environment, health, family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, education, all of these things are elements of of how your autism is shaped. So um, and it's the same as, you know, how your hair is, you know, what color you have your hair and all that kind of stuff and what clothes you wear and everything and your culture. And so I think, you know, we're very, very blessed that we live in a country that difference is quite widely accepted, even though we, we're always moaning about stuff. But I think compared to <laughs> other countries, because I've studied other countries and autism, we're actually quite good in our attitude as an Irish people, as an Irish culture, we're actually quite inclusive. That's you know? very reassuring to hear that. That's yeah. great. That I know there's a lot of work going on around that, but it's great to hear that yeah. that's actually happening as well in, in the real world. Um, that's that's fantastic. Because yeah, a lot of people are talking these days about getting a diagnosis as, as a middle-aged parent, yeah. mostly, yeah. because their child has been diagnosed and then they've gone, well, 
that child is very like me. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They empathize. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, they, but aren't they doing? I, I had a lecturer in college who said that to me. I went back to see him. I, I was starting to do my PhD and he was, you know, his son was going through diagnosis. So he didn't really have an interest in, in supervising me. And he said, but I don't believe it. I argue with that psychologist because this is this is what I do. And then I came back to him two years later and he went, yeah, I'm diagnosed as autistic. So, uh, so you know, uh, some people do, some people don't. Some people, it, it can miss a generation. It can be and, and parts of the family or whatever. But there's strong indicators in both our families of uh, autistic traits. And you can have autistic traits and not actually be autistic. So it, it it's a lot of the difficulties and, bar- you know, self barriers, um, you know, and, and issues come from a full autistic diagnosis. So I don't know whether I have autistic traits. I definitely have autistic traits. Um, but I don't know if I'm, I'm fully autistic. Um, if I wanted to know, but it's, it's not like other conditions where there's other, you know, things like heart difficulties or, or, you know, um, definitely mental health is definitely a, a big part of, of the autistic experience unfortunately and and do you think that comes from feeling different the mental health issues yes is it from and and the exclusion and self-identity I think identity is a big big problem my son when he was diagnosed and 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 this is I explained in the in neurodiversity I, I use autism as an example because it's the clearest example um, and 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 a lot of people understand it. Uh, if you're diagnosed between four and thirteen, for example, um, identity you always know you're autistic. You know what I mean, and you're too young to understand what that actually means. So you you can be quite strong in your self identity, but getting diagnosed at thirteen, we're understanding what identity is and hormones and all of these other issues that happen in teenage years. So it makes it even more difficult. A condition to be told because you're you're now being told yesterday in the child's mind yesterday I wasn't different but today I am even though it's probably they probably knew always knew they were different but for them yesterday I was fine I was normal and today we put a huge amount of emphasis on normality and there's no such thing as normal because we're all different so that's yeah. it's, that's a fallacy that we 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 sell our children getting diagnosed in your twenties. Uh, a lot of young people are quite angry because they say, I went the whole way through school and nobody knew I was autistic. And I find out in my 20s and I need to go and save all of those children in school. And I need to tell their parents because their parents are the worst people in the world because they don't know about autism and it's their fault. They're damaging their children with all these therapies. I never had those therapies. Look at me. You can you can you can hear yes. that narrative. You go on Twitter, you hear that narrative. OK, I think diagnosed at my stage of life. If you were OK you found your path and you're happy now getting diagnosed at my stage of life. It's not as, as big a deal if you're upset, if you've had mental health issues, because I found that if you get diagnosed from 13 on, that's when those mental health issues come in. You know, you're different. You, you communication is difficult. Anxiety, all of these conditions, depression, anxiety, self-harming in particular in girls as well, because girls are much later diagnosed and not fitting in because girls are much more social than boys are. Boys are quite physical. You can get along. Gaming is, you know, especially the age groups today, gaming is a big deal. But for girls, socialization is massive. And to be different and not know why you're different and not understand why people are telling you they can't be your friend. The, the autism in girls is massively, the, the empathy is like your skin, you're so thin skinned. So you can imagine being 13, going through hormones, being uber, uber 
uh, uh, sensitive to everything and any little slight. So you can see how that manifests itself in anxiety, um, uh, school aversion, uh, bad misbehavior, addiction, um, you know, self-harming. These are all things that happen in that time. And it doesn't happen for everybody. You know what I mean? I was very, very lucky. Yes. My parents, my dad is a doctor and my mom and and there were seven of us. So I had a very, very strong family unit, but we have much smaller families now. So it's, you know what I mean? So you might have siblings who never talk to each other and not realize why that's happening. And they could both be on the spectrum. You know what I mean? And it's it's really, yeah, it's it's a fascinating area. And I'm learning more and more about female, because a lot of the research about women is only really coming out in the last 20 years. And before that was all boys, 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 and only classic autistic girls were really diagnosed. So it's, it's massive. And I often wonder, we have a very, very high rate of self-harm in women in Ireland, suicide in men, but self-harm in women. And I wonder if we looked at the statistics, how many of those would be neurodivergent? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, and no I wonder. Uh, yeah, that's that'll be a, a project for someone to take on, wouldn't it? Yeah, not me. I'm not taking it anymore. <laughs> not this year, Eleanor. No, 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 no. Squeeze it in somewhere sometime. Well, uh, it was interesting. I did that course with you, the pilot course for Screen Ireland on well-being in yes. the screen industry, and yeah. we did. Uh, we looked at neurodiversity and autism and. In, in the creative industries, you know, that there's there's quite a, a, an attraction for people to go into that industry because, it's it, you know, it's it's not the nine to five kind of work. Yeah. And, yeah. and and there's lots of different, you know, um, I suppose people are good at different things, whether it's technology or, you know, whatever role you take on. But that that's an area that attracts uh, pe- autistic people or neurodivergent and also you know, there's different industries like the bar is another industry, you know, or industry, yeah. uh, uh, The bar, being a barrister, working on your own intellectual at the Royal Library. A lot of people would say that there's a lot of barristers who might be. Autism, yes. you know, so there's different industries that people yeah. go into, isn't it? That's yeah. that's fascinating. But yeah. like also teach like our course focused on teaching everybody about it, to, to include people and to not exclude people because Maybe they're overwhelmed at some point, you know, so on the day or some. Yeah, and, and yeah. some people, as as we were saying, are not aware. So if you're yes. not aware and you're working in an industry for 20 years and not realizing why you're not succeeding or why you're not retained in jobs and why you're having rows of people and why you are. I mean, big names like uh, David Lynch and uh, the director and uh, Paddy Considine is autistic Um you know, uh, what's his name who played the Fonz is, um, oh, is he's, yes, yeah, he's yeah. just, he's, he's dyslexia and that's why he couldn't read scripts and people in, there is more flexibility within the creative industries and, and people seem to find their lane. I always feel, and, and you'll find that people who tend to be, um, who are neurodivergent while they have all these problems within the educational system, a lot of them overcome those barriers because of determination. Um, you know, and it's not that it's a side effect is stubbornness. Um, but I think that if you want, there's that will to succeed. And I know a lot of people working in the industry who I wouldn't have been aware until I started running the course and people have come to me and said it, you know, and, and, you know, I think it's vitally important that we foster, uh, inclusivity, especially in the arts. The arts is supposed to be about breaking the rules. Isn't that, you know, experimental art, experimental thinking? And surely I, I it's, it's my mantra has always been the arts equalizes. You know, you can have an intellectual disability and be a dancer. 
um, you could have mental health issues and be a writer. You know, I, I worked with a director writer who had severe depression and bipolar disorder. And we just worked at his own pace because we got the funders to to accept his diagnosis because he had, you know, but there is a massive still stigma within industry, I think, in business in Ireland. I, I think while our culturally we've become better, I think in um, business and I think in, 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 in our, our generation and older, I think um, people in, in midlife, there is still that a stigma attached to um, neurodivergency, where, whereas in our, the young people coming up now, they don't see it. They don't blink because there's kids in their class who are of intellectual dis- disabilities or from Ukraine or from you know, Africa. And, and there's a mad mix in school now, which we just didn't have when we were growing up we, we are, weren't aware that was there you know what I mean so I think that that I, as I, I spoke in the Oireachtas on the autism strategy which is being launched this week and I spoke about it and I, it's the one thing I said is that they were all there going oh we're going to do great things and I said well, well I said our kids aren't going to wait for you they've come through mainstream education and they're going to come and change the world because it's their world, not ours anymore. And they were all like, Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, Fantastic. So yeah, your jobs, you know, so. Yes. They'll take your job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and they will design the world the way it'll be more yeah. accessible to them and, and more diverse. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Inclusive. Yeah. And- yeah. Eleanor, thank you so much. You are such you've got such an amazing brain. Oh, my God, you know so much and you have so much information about all aspects of this and many more things. We didn't even touch on anything else. No. But I really appreciate you coming on here to Lady Time and discussing your diversity with us. And thank you so much. And best of luck. That's a big week in the doll then if you're having. It is. And very proud. I just hope that it means, you know, I've talked policy and practice for many years and we kept getting promises we've had a couple of goes at at autism strategy so i hope for once we had a fantastic document in 2001 and that was the first go at this and other countries used it but we didn't and we left it gathering dust i hope to god that no way yeah other countries used it before us of course yes yeah yeah. and and this is why but there's people like me there's people like yourself there's people who have done my courses that walk out more empowered and i hope to god that will change the world because i think the neurodivergent people who i i'm a member of are a wonderful bunch of people and if we give them an opportunity they will bring so much joy to our country and I think Ireland is the country to do it you know why should we always be first at let's say climate action or whatever a small country and we're a very family-oriented beautiful country and it's so wonderful to have such diversity here so let's embrace it let's be proud of it yes absolutely well that's a great note uh Eleanor to finish up today thank you so much and that's a really positive note Yes, let's embrace that Ireland. Let's let's bring it on. Lots of neurodivergent and neurodiverse people everywhere in, in all aspects of business as well as creative uh, uh, industries. Thank you very much. Uh, you've been Thank listening you. to Carol Fitzpatrick and Eleanor McSherry. If you like what you're listening to, please, please subscribe to the podcast platform you're listening to and please let your friends know. Thank you very much. We'll be back soon. Thank you.